Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Well, it is a delight to be back here and to to be preaching. And uh, thank you for the warm welcome, Pastor Craig. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are alive and well, all of us, to be here together today. Oh, I don't know if you remember the name Flip Wilson. He was a black comedian. He was really hot about the time I came to the USA. I feel a little uncomfortable doing this because I can barely speak American, let alone African-American. But he was a comedian. And from time to time, he used to love to take off on the black preachers that he experienced. And so when it came time to talk about giving, he said, and excuse my really (laughs) wicked imitation here, he said, for this church to walk, it's got to first crawl. So the congregation said, let it crawl, Rev, let it crawl. Great response. He said, before this church can run, it's got to walk. And they came back, let it walk, Rev, let it walk. And then he said, before this church can really sprint forth, it's got to give. And they responded, let it crawl, Rev, (laughs) let it crawl. That's pretty bad, wasn't it? (laughs) But you get the picture. You know, this series, brilliantly labeled by Pastor Craig, Satisfied, has to do with God's plan for our lives, who we are. Bear in mind that the Bible clearly teaches that the Lord is our creator. He made us in the first place. And in creating us, created us after his image and likeness. Now that's a vast subject. But taken that, when we come to who God is, one of the things that's absolutely clear is that our God is a giver. He is generous. We have just sung about America I am proud to have become an America. It moves me to sing that song. It moves me to pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. I am proud to be an America, an American. And God has blessed us so richly in this country with all manner of wealth so that we've been able to bless nations, bless bless missionary enterprise, 
because God is a giver. The most famous verse in the Bible is, God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave an ultimate gift, his son, so that through faith in him, we could receive that ultimate gift of eternal life. So that when we are seen to be in Christ, we are made a new creation. And then we get a new vision for our lives. And we begin to see ourselves the way God not only sees us, but see ourselves as living after the family likeness, the family business. God is a giver. And so what the scripture says is this. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. It all comes from him. The apostle Paul puts it very spiritually. He says, what have you, and he's speaking about spiritual gifts and ministry, what have you that you did not receive? And we receive it because God is the giver of good gifts. So when we proclaim God is good all the time, God never stops giving, giving, giving. And that encourages us in our prayer to come into his presence to receive, to receive from him. Now we're going to be looking at another passage from the scripture from the Corinthian narratives. And this one, as was so brilliantly read for us by Pastor Craig, 16, the 16th chapter, 1 Corinthians. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Now a couple of things right there. He's talking about a collection for the people in Jerusalem. So he's going to a Gentile foreign population who spoke Greek. This is written in Greek. He would have preached in Greek to them. He was multilingual. He could speak a number of languages. He would write to them, speak to them. And he's saying to the people at Corinth that he is giving them the same instruction that he gave to the people in Galatia about this collection for the people of Jerusalem. In fact, the closing words, just to emphasize this, of the passage that was read. It says, I, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. See, they couldn't have uh, any kind of wire or transfer of credit. They had to physically collect the money, then take the money, a dangerous proposition, and deliver it as cash in Jerusalem. And then he goes on to say this, if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So Paul was going to go with this gift, probably, and in fact he did, to Jerusalem. 
Now, what's extraordinary about this in the circumstances that get set up is this. Paul, in arriving in Jerusalem, having been the evangelist to all these Gentiles, gets hauled in front of a court, threatened with death, taken charge of by a Roman cohort, and taken out of Jerusalem because of the riots and the plans to kill him. Now, why he was going to Jerusalem was to take this money. One of the things, arrive and present this gift. It would have been a considerable gift because he's already spoken to the Galatians, as mentioned here, and then to the Macedonians, and Pastor Craig addressed this last week, and the Macedonians had given generously, and now he's asking the Corinthians to give in the same way that the Galatians, and they're Turks, that's Turkey today, modern Turkey, and Macedonia, which is pretty much modern Albania today. And those are rough people. I mean, courageous mountain people. They are fighters. They are gutsy people. Paul wasn't just hanging around with a bunch of elites. Now, he was when he got to Corinth. But the people of Turkey and Macedonia, they're a rough crowd. But Paul, having done all that preaching in those circumstances, ends up Jerusalem and his life being threatened. He's rescued, taken defensively, protectively out of Jerusalem, spends a couple of years in Caesarea, which is about, I don't know, today it's about an hour and a half drive north of, of Jerusalem. And from there, he ends up going to Rome, where he was executed, having spent a couple of years there as well, all because of this gift, acting generously, raising the money, and then taking the money, and ending up, ending up in trouble. I almost say that as extra information about the drama of raising these funds, encouraging people like us to be generous, and then taking those funds to Jerusalem. And the reason why Jerusalem needed them is this. The church was born in Jerusalem. Born because Christ was crucified in Jerusalem. Pentecost was in Jerusalem. And the first thousands of believers were all Jews, most of them living in Jerusalem. And whenever they committed themselves to Jesus as Messiah and Lord, they were immediately ostracized, they were shunned, they were thrown out of their synagogues and the temple. Their families would disown them. The cost of their becoming followers of Jesus was everything. They lost their jobs. They lost their income. They lost their careers. They lost all the associations. They were ostracized for following Jesus, thereby fell into poverty and desperate need. And so... They, the first believers, and just sort of like the church sprang out of Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. Paul was a great advocate and, and missionary in that enterprise. They were poverty-stricken and in deep distress in Jerusalem. 
And so they had asked Paul, in your preaching around the Gentiles, take up offerings for us. And so they did. And then Paul went with that offering to Jerusalem. And so the rest of his life unfolded dramatically. So that's about the gift that they were collecting for. Now he goes on to say what he told them. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you, so he's saying this to Corinthians, but this is what he told the people in Galatia. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. In other words, the gathering of the funds would already have been done. He didn't want to have to come and sort of give fundraising speeches and look like he was collecting money like that was his mission. His mission was the gospel. His mission was to draw people to Christ. And they were experiencing the great statement, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. That's right out of the letter to the Corinthians that powerful gospel which they were experiencing, transforming them so that not only were they being asked for this particular gift, but they would have learned from Paul and the believers who came with him that part of knowing and loving Jesus is tithing. When you're born again spiritually and you belong to the Lord and you enter into that life with him, the Jewish custom was as Jews to give a tenth of all that they ever earned. Tithing, that's what a tithe is. So that was the baseline. They would have been taught that. And then this extra giving for the cause of the poverty-stricken in Jerusalem. But he said, organize yourself in this way. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, that became the Christian Sabbath, Resurrection Day. On the first day of the week, you take some part of what you've earned according to how much you earn, set it aside, and save it for when I come, and we will take that money to Jerusalem. And in fact, you can send your people with it. It won't just be me who's taking it. You see, he said, you can give people who you trust these letters of reference so that they can take this gift to Jerusalem. And he spoke about his going with them. He didn't want to be a fundraiser as his primary ministry, but it was a huge ministry. So he's asking them ahead of time to get on with this. And what he's asking them to do is to take their giving seriously. I've written a note down here that generous giving demands purposeful planning. That's what he's asking them to do. Similarly, over in his second letter to the Corinthians, still on this same business, chapter 9 and verse 7, he says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Another translation says, has made up his mind to give what he's going to give. Has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, there are two things in that passage. He's asking them to consider seriously 
what they do with their assets. So it's not just some spontaneous at the moment gift, but take a look at what you earn, make up your minds what it is you're going to give, and do so. Now, just I say this in passing, but it's right at the heart of things. I received my letter from Pastor Craig with a pledge card this week, and if you're engaged with us at Christ Church, you probably already have received the same letter and pledge card. And the pledge is asking you to take seriously what you do with your assets, your wealth. This is serious business. It's not a matter of throwing a few bucks in a plate. It's not a matter of some sort of emotional giving just to hand something over. This is serious business. There is a kind of emotional giving from time to time. You know, we get moved by something and we give generously. I remember being in one meeting where somebody said, hey, I think it was right here at Christ Church. We've got all this money in the plate. I mean, like rolls of it. And what had happened is some chap had been so moved, he emptied out his pockets into the plate. So the staff who take care of this came and said, look at this. Whoa. Spontaneous giving. There is this comment that I read this week about, uh, do you, I don't know if you know the name Thomas Carlyle, but if you've had any kind of classical education, you would know it. He was a man of letters and learning in England in the 1800s. And he had a tremendous influence uh, because of his intellectual prowess. And he wrote down, looking back on his childhood, these words. He said, when I was a boy, a beggar came to the door. My parents were out and I was alone in the house. So on a boyish impulse, he went on, he broke into his own savings bank and gave the whole lot to the beggar. And he tells that he was never before or since experiencing such sheer happiness. He remembers that as a magical moment in his childhood. It was spontaneous. He broke open his piggy bank and gave everything to the beggar. That joy of giving. And in the same response, that's exactly what's described here. Listen to these words again. Each man should give when he what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And then it's got this line, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know that phrase. That's actually a weak translation. The real word, hilaron, which is the word cheerful in English, hilaron is the Greek for that word that's been translated, is the word from which we get exhilarate, exhilaration, overflowing joy. It's the one from which we get Hillary. The name Hillary is from Hilaron, presumably a joyful person named as such. How about the phrase that we certainly get over into English from Hilaron, which is hilarious. The Lord loves a hilarious giver. 
Why do you think that is? Because that's who he is. Joyful, exuberant, exhilarating giver. And the Lord, who is that kind of giver, loves a hilarious, exhilarating, exhilarated giver. The joy of thinking it through, making up your mind, and making a commitment. That's what we encourage you to do. Seriously, to take your resources, financial, and apply them. One of the most remarkable happy events, I've got two that I'm going to mention, was when a chap came at this church, one of the early members before we ever had any of these buildings, and he said, uh, he came with his wife, he said, we've just sold a business. He owned several businesses, and he'd sold one of them. And we've decided to tithe the proceeds from that sale. What do you recommend? Well, I had the uh, temerity to say, how much are we talking about? <laughs> so he told me the, the sum he'd sold it for, 10%. Whoa. What do you recommend? I said, put us back on the air again. Take us out to the city of Pittsburgh and around via the radio. And so he did. And that was a very important part of building this church, which is sort of off the beaten track, a new church plant. But our preaching went out over the city so that people were drawn to the preaching of the word. Some of you here first heard me years ago, was certainly true of the earlier congregation, through the radio and were drawn into the fellowship of Christ Church. I'm longing for the day when we can put Pastor Craig on the air. He is fantastic. He's a gift to us. And we need to get it out there that we've got this fantastic new pastor. You sell a business, come and see Pastor Craig. And we'll put it to work. Because it's that kind of serious, we're serious. This is kingdom of God. Wasn't that a spectacular series that we had on the kingdom? We had the very word up front here, kingdom. This isn't about a charitable gift. Seek first the kingdom of God, said Jesus. Then everything else will be added to you. First things first, seek the kingdom. That is, serve the kingdom, work for the kingdom, get into the family business of his kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's not ours. It's his. So take seriously, like you would if you're planning your retirement. I am so weary of all the ads that talk about planning our retirement as if all we live to work for is to be retired. You see it, you hear those ads through those ears. I don't live to be retired. <laughs> Somebody came up to me and said, he's 85. I said, you're older than I am. I'm 84. I am not retired. Retired. Like Pastor Ed says, I'm rewired. <laughs> and then with Pastor Craig, it's a joy I have to still be a part of the family and get to preach a minister. What we have, we hold for him. 
That's the word steward, a manager. So stewardship is taking our assets, intellectually looking at what we've got and organizing them in a way that we can give that tithe and have other monies to give beyond that. For instance, to Choice's pregnancy. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I'm going to pray that you will do that and I want you to pray about it. Before you write anything on that pledge card, you take a serious look at your assets and what you want to do with them. The second illustration is this. I had ministered to a family out of St. Louis in Missouri and it turned out that he was very, very wealthy. And along the way, he said, I've put you in my will. He said, you won't get it till my wife dies. He said, I presume I'm going to die first. But when my wife's wife goes as well, there should be a, a very significant gift that you'll receive. So I thanked him and didn't say, what are you talking about? How much is that going to be? I wasn't that crass. But I did wonder. And then after his wife died, so he was Jim, his wife was Ruth, the last name Minton. We've named the commons after them. That commons out there is Minton Commons. He left me over a million dollars, presumably for ministry. It wasn't like he left it to me and then I could retire early and go have some fun. We were in the process of raising the money to build this larger church. By the grace of God, I was able to give 1.06 million from Jim Minton and Ruth Minton to Christ Church at Grove Farm. They had their priorities. They'd worked out what they wanted to do with their wealth. And leaving that what was a fairly small slice for them, it was a blessing beyond blessings for us. Transformed what we were able to do here. I actually said to the church at that time, so this is new information for some of you. I said, I will give that million plus if you're pledged to match it. And we needed the match in order to finish this off the way it should have been done. But that started with Jim Minton coming to know Jesus, having his heart transformed and wanting to do something with his money for the Lord. Serious business. Are you that serious about your assets? It doesn't have to be a lot, but you need to be serious. And it needs to be proportionate according to what you're earning or have. That's what the scripture has told us. That's the deal. Has Jesus captured your heart? It's a beautiful song. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved that you gave your son for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I have and ever hope to be, I owe it all to you. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. 
And if there be any praise, let it go to Calvary. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. And if you know and love Jesus, he's done that for you. And if you don't know it, you don't know him, then what an invitation to get to know the great giving God. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, said Jesus. That's his reason for coming. That you might have life more abundantly. And God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son that that might be true. And you receive the gift of eternal life. How can you ever say thanks for the things he has done for you? So Winston Churchill said this, you make a living by what you get, you make a life by what you give. You make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. Let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these words from your word, the word, your Bible. Thank you for all your generosity beyond generosity. How you have actually poured out on us rivers of living water. Thank you for being that spring of life to us. A fountain of joy and exuberance with a future in heaven with you. Oh, and even as we say you never change, you are so extraordinary, God, that while you may be the same yesterday and today and forever, that is not a bore. We could never get to the end of all your magnificence. How wonderful you are. We've got eternity to know that and experience that. But for us now, it begins again right at this moment as we get serious about you and these lives you've given us to live. Grant us that we may do that for your name's sake. Amen.